Hello and welcome to the Sage Space. Just knowing that physio can help in so many ways, so many ways. I mean, if you're talking with your experience in terms of breast cancer, if you engage in a certain level of activity in kind of cardio for let's say walking and a strength program, the evidence says that your chance of recurrence is reduced by up to 40%. Now, when you consider some of the you know, treatments that you would get after your primary diagnosis, the ongoing ones for five or 10 years after, are something like only 2% re reducing your risk of recurrence. It's, it's insane. So people need to know these facts and it's free and it's good for your mental health as well as everything else. Post-cancer, I wanted to create a space to have conversations with the many creative people who offered up their knowledge and wisdom of how to move through this challenging time. Often practical, definitely insightful, and always infused with optimism, these conversations are a joy to share. As the designer Alan Moore says, the act of creating something of beauty is a way of bringing good into the world. Infused with optimism, it says simply, life is worthwhile. Today we're talking about movement and the benefits of physiotherapy with one of the pioneers of oncology physiotherapy, Louise Malone. Often when I'm swimming or trying to do a handstand or even swinging from a tree, I'll have this flashback to when I couldn't even lift my arm above my head. It sounds totally crazy, but after mastectomy and many lymph nodes removed in my arm, this was a reality and the road to recovery seemed impossible. But oncology physio Louise assured me it wasn't. Louise has been working in the cancer field for the last decade. She started at a time when physio wasn't given much importance or even thought to make much of a difference to a patient's recovery. Ten years later, and she can cite a wealth of research to prove that a movement plan and targeted physiotherapy doesn't just physically improve people's chances of a full recovery after cancer surgery, but it's also crucial both mentally and emotionally. She's determined to get the message out there and to reach as many people as possible. Her advice, compassion and perspective is even more compelling at a time when people can feel resigned to living with pain and limited movement. Welcome, Louise. How have you created a bit of space for yourself today? And is it something that's important to you? Oh, hugely important. And it's something I have learned through personal experience, I think, in the last 12 months to even prioritise even more. And it was hugely interesting because in my line of work, I do discuss that with my patients, taking time out, you know, making sure they're not stressed and things like that. And then I really had to learn this year what that meant for me this year. I've discovered that I'm a happier human being when I'm not rushing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. And just even creating more space in terms of getting up 15 minutes earlier to, you know, I'm a, I'm a faffer in the morning, especially, just to either faff more or just take my time a little bit more, get to work a little bit earlier and just feel settled before I start my day. And it's one thing that trying to find a, that space for yourself, um, one of one of the things I, I used to write, I do state to my patients and one of my patients referred to it as the, Louise stress test because often my patients come during treatment and they maybe not be working 
they're not doing their normal you know school runs or all the cooking or whatever it might be for them and they feel less stressed so I often say okay write down now what you are doing or what you're not doing whatever way you want to look at it and then kind of after their treatment they might notice the stress level are getting higher again so I ask them to compare what they're doing or not doing you know they could have been doing meditation through their treatments and now because of life that has just taken a side step so try and just see what you have been doing or not doing or even recognizing a situation that you're in is that stressful and then trying to eliminate that I probably should explain to, to people listening that I met you when I was um, when I just when I'd had a mastectomy after breast cancer and I mean I remember after the surgery I couldn't even lift my arm sort of 20 degrees let alone like up above my head and you helped so much with the the cording like you helped so much with movement and talking about how how um how my movement would come back because me being quite an active person I was kind of really like worried that it wasn't gonna that I was going to be you know very limited and that was something I really was quite yeah very anxious about but you we, you really pushed me in the right direction and I just wonder like because you're quite a pioneer in the physio oncology space so what how did you you trained as a physio and then how did you get into that space yes because there are it's a relatively new field in terms of well there's not many of us out there and also the um, there's, there's no specific training courses or anything like that so I um, started my London parts. When I came to London, I worked at UCLH, and it's a very big teaching hospital, but also a big cancer center, and blo- both blood and the you know the hematology aspects, and also the the tumors, let's say the cancer aspect. And in my rotations, I just happened to get a lot of those in my you know junior and senior rotations. And I think I kind of I like the holisticness of the oncology aspect in the sense that I felt you were treating more of the person. Um, they could be quite complex, um, and but also noting that we what we were doing was I always felt we could do a little bit more for them. I think ten years ago now, oof, um, if you said you had cancer, a lot of people were like, "Oh, I can't treat you." And there was not a lot of evidence to say that you couldn't, but then also not a lot of evidence to say that you, you, you could. And also just knowing that physio can help in so many ways, so many ways. I mean, if you're talking with your experience in terms of breast cancer, if you engage in a certain level of activity in kind of cardio for, let's say, walking and a strength program, the evidence says that your chance of recurrence is reduced by up to 40%. Now, when you consider some of the you know, treatments that you would get after your primary diagnosis, the ongoing ones for five or 10 years after, are something like only 2% re- reducing your risk of recurrence. It's, it's insane. So people need to know these facts and it's free and it's good for your mental health as well as everything else. And, and also some of exercise can help prevent different tumors groups as well. So I think for me it's just knowing that you can you know, get people back to a level where hopefully they don't, if they're opening the curtains in the morning, they're not thinking of tightness in their arm. You know, we can 
you shouldn't have to deal with those things. You should be able to move on in in a definitely from a functional point of view. You shouldn't be having to have, think of that tightness. And I just believe that we can really help people just to, to move forward or move on from their experience, in what, whatever that might be to them, but they shouldn't have physical limitations after it. I mean, are you, are you quite a, a sort of active physical person yourself? When someone knows that's part of their life as well, I think it's easier to You're pick up. To walk, walk the talk. And, you know, I'm very mindful that I want to be able to you know, lead by example, and I can't sit behind a desk and say to people, get out and walk, you know, five, 30 minute walks. I can't do that. It's not, it's not a good example to set to my patients. Um, so I'm hugely aware of that. And equally, part of my, if I am telling a patient to do things, I do realize how hard it is to, you know, schedule into a working week. So I have to sit down, I have to see what plans I have and see when I'm going to do what and where. So I equally understand that it's a huge part of our treatment to know to nail down with the patient, okay, when are you going to do this? Looking at their diary, and that's a huge element. Um, so, and I often joke, I'll say, you know, I'll be the brains, I'll tell you what to do, you've just got to do it. And that may sound simple, but it's, you know, it's not. So, yeah, I, I think it gives you an appreciation for how difficult um, it might be to, to do these things or for the motivation factor. And Yeah, I mean, I remember... And I mean, and this is something I think you, um, I was reading on your website, like, I mean, and I can remember this as well. It's like managing, you say that like one of your priorities at the very beginning is to manage the pain mm-hmm. because pain has a huge sort of effect on whether you want to do something or yeah. whether you think you can and whether you can push on or not or you shouldn't. And yes. and pain is something that you, you seem to... Um, managing that pain is something that's quite vital. Hugely. Um, pain is an inhibitor, not just to function as in movement, you know, 20 degrees, I can't move it, but also into the psyche as well. Your brain soon learns how to, oh, if I move my shoulder in that way, it's going to hurt. So very cleverly, the brain treats it and says, oh, not go- so I'm not going to do that. And then that manifests into into a cycle of I can't do that. I can't do that, you know. And then a, a big thing as well is, let's say, people have. You know, I really kind of seen some of this experience as like almost like a road traffic accident. One minute you are, you know, going down the road. I'm Louise. You know, I'm fine. And next next day, literally, you're like, I'm Louise. I'm I'm you know, I'm a cancer patient. And people start looking at you differently. They tilt their head sideways. They don't know what to say to you. All this kind of stuff. And it just knocks you for sideways. And then you have these surgeries and these 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 things. So there's and, and then when you have pain on top of all that, you just kind of almost freeze, or you just don't know what the confidence and what to do is is terrible. And when you do try and do it you know, then it's causing pain. So it's a really, really difficult cycle for people going through things because they want to do the right thing. They want to help themselves. So it's just trying to find ways of getting through that pain, whether it's through, you know, what movement-based or kind of more manual skills and just having people to... Or even defining pain is actually this is a tightness pain or is it a not pain pain and just reassuring people that when you, you know if it is a, a, a good pain or a, you know in terms of actually this is just a bit of tightness you're just going through tightness so you know it's not a bad sensation to have versus a you know sharp shooting pain and yeah 
And kind of overcoming the limitations that you sort of put on yourself. I mean, I think it's so helpful to have someone to say, no, you can, you can do that. You can have a go at that and and know that you're not going to damage yourself further yeah. or hurt yourself further because I think you do just self-impose limitations otherwise. Yeah. But I also think it might be self-imposed, but I think also it's maybe a the information that people are given to. You know, you mustn't do this or you you, know, you can't lift again, you know, and all those kind of things. And that might apply for that two-week period, post-operative or post-trauma, but actually it doesn't apply forever, but then people aren't given that follow-up. You know, of actually, you know, you can move it, and yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's. You know, it might be a little bit seven, but I think more is just not having that support to actually say, okay, move on now. Let's get a bit of, you know, accountability back into it, and we need to move. And and of course, the body holds pain. You know, could be causing tightness elsewhere. You know, in the shoulders or anything like that. And then that just manifests into a whole big cycle of just not feeling like yourself, not being able to do things, and. Yeah. So, I mean, the surgery, surgery aspect of, I mean, say, for example, you know, mastectomies, that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, one of the main main concerns is, is, is the cording. I mean, can you explain a bit what cording is and, and, and lymphedema? Because I know that can be something that people yeah. don't fully understand and also don't really know if they can actually get better from. Yeah. Um, so cording, there is... A, a n- a little bit of conflicting evidence in terms of what's out there, um, but what essentially what it is, it's when you develop scar tissue. So if we get a little, you know, nick on your arm and you develop a scab, so that's a scar tissue. And cording is essentially that when it kind of goes a little bit AWOL and it doesn't just stay along the area that's incised, it kind of infiltrates the structures kind of proximal to it. It can go across um, a lymphatic line, but also I have known that it goes across other structures as well through there. So it's not just a lymphatic line. Um, cording is something we can 100% get rid of. So it's great. It's just a bit of scar tissue and we can get rid of it through good advice, you know, through um, either stretching or we can just release them as well with through specialist massage as well. The evidence says that it should resolve itself within six months of it happening but we know with physio that you can just really get on top of that within hopefully within a few sessions and then of course that kind of that will feed into your post-surgical movement as well um so cording is something that if you have an incision in your axilla for maybe a central lymph node um you know um, biopsy or maybe more over 72% of people who have an excision in their axilla will develop cording. So it's almost, you know, mm-hmm. three in four people. So yes. it's so common, but unfortunately, again, the knowledge of what it is and how it, it's 100%, you know, which is treatable and it won't come back. So um, people are kind of living with it. They haven't done, they, yeah. haven't, they haven't had the physio off. They haven't been given the advice or, or suggested yeah. to have the physio yeah. after. So, and th- does it then get worse? So it's just, so if it's, the research says it will go within six months, but that's also if you move. But the problem there is that if you are limited by your movement through a cord, you might only have half your movement in your shoulder. So over time, if you're only, if you're not um, moving that, I've, I've, people have come to me with what has been diagnosed with a frozen shoulder over time because their shoulder doesn't move. But actually, when I assess them, 
and we you know might be cord related or even just through soft tissue tightness through that period of time but not moving it through that range they often leave the room with three quarters range of movement mm. because we have just done that and it's not actually a true frozen shoulder because it's only it's not limited through the joint the joint is okay it's the soft tissues around the joint that are limiting it but it presents like a frozen shoulder because of that sharp pain so it's just so to answer yes it, it can go wor- get worse but it's through those secondary um, not through moving through the range so I develop more tightness and and, and things like that so it's really unfortunate because it's something that can 100% just be gotten rid of and yeah just with the right advice as well yeah and then would you say the most uncomfortable and difficult um, thing that people find is when they develop um, lymphedema yes so lymphedema is um, it's a chronic condition and it is as a result when the lymphatic system becomes overloaded for the purpose and it just it develops some swelling I think we're hugely moving forward in terms now of what we can do for it and I'm very much in the terms of preventative measures and educating my patients in prevention now I'm very very fortunate also to work with the an amazing specialist lymphedema therapist here as well so if we can we work together in addressing hopefully acute symptoms so sometimes it might not even go into lymphedema it might just be post-surgical swelling that we get rid of um, and then if people are um, unfortunately develop it we can manage that through through her expertise as well with lymphedema it is um, as a result of when the lymphatic systems are removed and then for whatever reason, your arm is just not able to monitor the lymphatic system that's left. So what I, how I describe it is I often, let's say you had lymphedema in the arm and uh, I, we are close to Oxford Street here, so I'm gonna use that as an example. I say, imagine your arm is like Oxford Street and the veins and the arteries in your arm are the buses and the black cabs that are bringing people and place, things to places. And that's just, um, what I like in the lymphatic system is to the drainage system. We never think about it. We don't think about it at all. But actually, it's hugely important. And we only really notice that if a drain is blocked and there's a puddle in the road and you either get splashed by a bus or the bus has to slow down. And worst case scenario, there might be um, a complete blockage in the road and the cars and the buses have to be diverted. So much like the lymphatic system in your arm, if you take away the drain, if you take away lymphatic vessels, that um, then that area of that the, the arm is, is not as, as efficient. So the body still produces the lymph, um, the uh, lymphatic, um, the lymph. Did we say that the lymph, end? Yeah. yeah. So then um, and then so but then the body just can't cope with the system for getting rid of it. Isn't there? Um, Unlike the cardiovascular system, like the blood, the, which has the heart to pump everything around it, the lymphatic system doesn't have that. So it relies on our, our breathing, you know, our movement, um, and just in general, just keeping active, like swimming and singing is a great thing for your lymphatic system as well. Singing? Singing, yeah, it's huge, because we've got a huge kind of lymphatic plexus just underneath Really? I never knew that. So when you breathe... You're exercising and you're moving the lymphatic system through there. And it's all to do with also just knowing that, for example, you need to keep moving. 
and just doing certain very gentle exercises because what lymphedema doesn't like is scar tissue. So you must be really important to get rid of that scar tissue as well. I imagine the scar tissue is like, you know, like the, the bollers, the orange or red bollers for the, the men and for used for roadworks. Imagine that's like scar tissue. Put a bit of scar tissue in your arm and then everything slows down. Mm. The traffic slows down. So we need to just get rid of the scar yeah. tissue. And that's the beauty about that. We can get rid of the scar tissue to keep the road clear so there's no blockages in the road. And so that's really important. And for that, you either through massage or through stretching as well. And for the people who have a risk of developing lymphedema, so that's basically anybody who's had an incision. Now, if, if you just had a sentinel lymph node biopsy, that's just one lymph node, you're at very minimal risk. But unfortunately, there's still a tiny risk versus someone who's had the complete clearance, but there's no lymphatic system, you're at a very, very high risk. So I just always say it's not going to be like brushing your teeth. You get into a system of doing some gentle stretches, you know, 10, 12 repetitions of a type of stretch, just to make sure that you're mobilizing the soft tissue and your arms in a certain way. So we want to prevent it and also acknowledging that what it can and can't do and what's important to me. We mentioned earlier post-surgery people say you can't lift a jug of water and stuff, but actually that's not, I often get young young mums in and that's not feasible when you have like an, an 18 month old. So we get them back into what's specific for them in terms of getting the movement back first, getting rid of the pain, and then progressing the strength gradually at a rate that's not going to cause lymphedema. Often lymphedema is caused and cording can be caused too if you progress your activity too quickly. One Christmas, um, Christmas and New Year, I had a massive influx of people coming back in and, oh, my arm is sore, I've developed this and that. And I was like, I was trying to figure out what is happening. And then I realized I was like taking the turkey in and out of the oven. Ah, my because it's Yeah, and that thing that you only do once a year. And it weighs so much, but also you're reaching forward. You know, we know that keeping the load closest to you is better for you, but you're reaching forward into the oven and... You know, and then that was really interesting. Or come springtime when people start to prune their gardens again, to shear the gardens and that movement. We don't do that kind of movement very often. So those little triggers can be, you know, you know, can cause it. And it's very important for me to, with when I'm sitting down initially with my patients, is to find out what activities they do and what we want to go towards. And there's rarely anybody who we've not said that you would be able to go back to full function again with the graded program. Now, it might take 9, 12 months or even sometimes a little bit longer, but we'll get you there as well. So there's not many people. I had one professional tennis player that we had to, well, semi-pro, that we had to um, get her serving with the left side instead of the right side just because of the power. Wow, she really? had so much power. But that was fine. Then her backhand, she, she adapted her backhand as well. But we just sat down with a coach and just said, actually, we want to keep you active. And the best way for the now is to go through a left serve. But she was very talented, so she managed to get Pretty by Pretty focused. This. Yeah, but I that's mean, that is probably relearning. the only... Yeah, relearning. But that's probably in the end, there's not many people that we can't get back to what yeah. they want to do. Well, I guess in recovery and when you're, treat, when you're putting together treatment plans for people, I mean, how do you see this sort of whole mind body connection this whole I mean it's such a thing at the moment you must have your own theories from seeing your patients and seeing how they recover and how they move forwards and I think 
for me, I think there's, I don't think you can separate the body and the mind. And I think the, I mentioned being that kind of road traffic, that trauma to somebody's, and you've, they go through the different scenarios of, you know, that, that shock of diagnosis and, and then you just, you know, that numbness of going through the treatment and, you know, and then maybe, and there's always a time where people process it, which is, I think is quite difficult. It's quite different. Some people might process it during the treatment, some people afterwards. And when I mean by process, they often have that, whoa, that emotional kind of catch up with them, which I think is very, very healthy. And because um, you're so, you're so in it yeah. and it's so intense at the beginning. And then you then get a chance to kind of reflect a bit yeah and I think that can happen at any time and but I when my patients come to me with this I know it's hugely traumatic for them and hugely upsetting for them but I'm actually so pleased that they are and we have this I mean again I'm very fortunate we have our psychologist here our counseling team you know we have our group sessions that we can gently encourage people to take up to to to, to address this as well and you I think for me you learn at different times when to offer it and when to not offer it. it's not always appropriate for people and everyone's different you know I'm hugely privileged again that we can access patients can access this at any time that we feel or they feel is appropriate but there is that huge mind body because from a physical manifestation of that thing is that for example a person who is adamant that cancer is not going to affect their life in any way they're going to still work they're not going to tell people you know and I would say obviously every way is right for that person at the time there's no right or wrong way and if they choose that they may also choose not to adapt their physical exercise regime so they might come back with they might be pushing through that pain that we talked about early in inappropriate ways so they might develop more complications they might develop the lymphedema that cording or other on other kind of side effects as well so if you're not that you're not allowing that just that kind of mindset to acknowledge that actually something's different is going on so I have to in some ways be a little bit different in how I approach things it does have that physical manifestation as well equally you know other people you know you have to just there's ways through it as well but I think it's very healthy to try and just acknowledge it in some way in terms of there's something different going on here and maybe I need a different approach and I'm always reassuring people that it's a different approach now, but it's not you forever. We just need to cut back. Instead of running, you're just going to do a purposeful walk just for the six months period, and we'll get you back walking. But it's just allowing the time now for your body, both physically and mentally, to to address what is going on with your body at the moment and and the ways that it needs to needs to needs to do it as well. Remember one day, two patients came in almost verbatim saying. I feel worse now than I did. I feel worse now after my treatment than I did when I was on my treatment. In the terms of just, you know, you feel supported with your treatment. You've got constant contact with the healthcare professionals. You're in and out, and then all of a sudden, that stops. Yeah. All these questions going around your mind, like, how do you know my treatment was enough? You know, was it effective? And you know, where do I go from now? And all that kind of, and you lose, you know, lose your sense of self. You know what you can and can't do, and. I remember I had a friend of mine and she had a close friend that was going through um, treatment and she kind of said, 
I just asked him out for dinner the other day and he said, oh, I need to check with my, my girlfriend, you know. And she was like, for God's sake, man, you know, you're, and, you know, I, and I, I think I tried to explain to her, I said, you don't realise your decision-making was taken away from you in that process. You were literally on a conveyor belt of yes, yes, yes. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily think for yourself or you have so much chemo brain, you can't think for yourself. So that decision-making process throughout the, is, is very minimal, for either it's taken away from you or you just do not have the capacity there's that fog so actually when you're coming out the other side there's that retrain again of you know of just getting your identity back you know and you know you, you're surviving yeah and afterwards when everything's gone it's just readjusting again back into life and to function and it takes time we say it takes something up to about two years to really kind of feel that yeah I'm back where I want to be or back yeah. myself and people are often shocked when I say that, yeah, too. Isn't it, it's there's no there's no race there's no you just. I think it's difficult too because people expect if I'm finished treatment, right? I'm going to get back to myself. But if you imagine breaking a bone, and you imagine that last day of treatment is your bone being broken, and you get a cast on it, and it's like you need to allow your body to heal and have kind of not many expectations just keep bumbling along just allow the toxins to get out of your system allow your muscles not to be broken down and so you have a cast on for a while so when you have a cast on you're quite limited so kind of thinking about that cast but then when you get the cast off you know you might have you can't bend your elbow because it's been straight or your knee so again it's this process of rehab that goes on you know for a wee while but you're making progress throughout all that time. But it's just, just you just need to allow your 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 rehab, in in essence, give your time to rehab and yeah. and then get back into into your life, into your function. So okay. now, just a couple more questions. What's the sagest piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, um, life is all about moments, and. If it's a tricky moment, it will pass. And if it's a wonderful moment, that you better really grasp it because it could pass as well. <laughs> and what's a wise or sage piece of advice you'd give to people out there, listeners? Or I think it's just important to acknowledge yourself and to... Be true to yourself and kind to yourself. And that's difficult, is trying to figure out what that means to you. But I think, um, yeah, life can be tough, but try and acknowledge yourself in that and be kind. Be kind to yourself and just do the best you can. Yeah, that's absolutely. All you can do. Thank you so much. Oh, and people pleasure. can find you where? Your website or through? Yeah, so I work um, at the LSE from in, in part of the HCA group and yeah I've got a website as well that they can contact there and it is louisemalone.co.uk I think dot com I'll too. check it and yeah, yeah, you can put it on a kind of link to it yeah you can do okay. can do um, both through there but thank you so much thank you Louise huge privilege to be, <laughs> to be a part of your project no my <laughs> honour entirely thank you so much thank you, thank you. Thank you Louise thank you for listening to contact louise visit her website louisemalone.com and i'll also link to places to find a physio in your local area in the show notes 
And a huge thank you to my music-making friend, Julia Ross, over in New York City for putting together the music for this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.